0: Well, welcome to the Midweek Connection. It's Wednesday, November the 29th, 2023. This week's question for the pastor is one that um, many people wonder about. It relates to God's plan of salvation and why He allows people to come into the world who He knows will not be saved. Well, I'm going to respond to that as well as share important announcements for this week. So, let's get right into it. Four announcements today. Number one, the Aspire Homeschool program and lunch is coming up December the 11th and you are invited. The Aspire Homeschool co-op meets at TMC each Monday for collective teaching, music, and socialization opportunities for their students. Some of the families are part of the TMC family and others are not, but they all have the goal of giving their children a quality Christ-centered education and I think that's really great. Uh, This year's program begins at 10.30 a.m. and includes a choir and solos and some skits uh, and other uh, activities, and then lunch will follow the program in the community room. So, you're encouraged to come and encourage these children through your attendance. Now, we're going to ask that you RSVP for the lunch Uh, so that we know how many to plan for. And you can do that in a link that will be provided in this Friday's email blast. All right. Number two, carols and Coco, A Christmas hymn sing is coming up Sunday, December the 17th at 4 p.m. Now, this is a great opportunity to gather with your TMC family and friends to reconnect with those beloved Christmas hymns and enjoy a time of fellowship following. TMC will provide the beverages, plates, forks, knives, and spoons, and we're looking for you to bring something salty or sweet to share with others. I know it's going to be a good time, and I look forward to our time together then. Number three, the annual birthday offering for Jesus letter was mailed on Monday. And so it should hit your mail back box sometime this week. Uh, in that letter, you will find an explanation of this year's project and instructions on how to participate are provided there in the letter. Now, this, this Christmas effort that we've been doing now for over 16 years uh, has been a great blessing. And the generous giving that you've made toward past projects has been a tremendous blessing to the ministries receiving your gifts. And so I look forward to how God is going to use this, use us, I should say, this year to be a blessing to the missionary mission project that you will discover when you open up your letter. Finally, we have completed our study of the first two divisions of the book of Revelation. The things that you have seen, which is John's vision of the risen glorified Christ, and the things which are. Jesus' letters to seven select churches back in AD 95-96. The final division of Revelation focuses on the things that are to come, things that are truly still future even for us. And uh, when we get there, it's going to take us through uh, scenes that John saw in heaven, about judgment that he witnessed that's going to fall on the earth, the triumphal coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and much, much more. And we're going to begin this part of Revelation on Sunday, January the 14th. As I announced in last week's Connection, the first three Sundays of December are reserved to lay a foundation about the doctrine of eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, before we launch into the next and final division of Revelation. I believe this is going to be an important preparatory step that should help us gain more out of our continued study of Revelation when we restart it on January the 14th. So, the first item up in this three-week series is the four primary views or frameworks of eschatology. And I want to, I look forward to our time diving into this important aspect of biblical theology. Well, those are the announcements for the week. Now it's time for this week's question for the pastor. Well, today's question uh, comes from an attender who asks, since God knows who will and who will not become believers, why are non-believers even created? Well, thanks for that question. It's one that scores of people have asked in one form or another. Now, this person's question seems to revolve around the idea that perhaps God creates people who will not believe. It's been asked by others in various forms. Probably the most common one is this. Why does God create some people for heaven and some people for hell? Well, my quick response is, God never created anyone for hell, but rather Adam, through his sin, cast all humanity into sin and thus destined for the eternal death of hell. Okay, that was my quick response. Now for a more biblical response. I want to go back to Genesis to begin our journey toward that biblically-based response. Now many people are shocked when I say that only two people were created by God or by a direct act of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that God directly was involved in creating Adam. He created him from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into him the breath of life. You, you can't get any more active than that. And then we find in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, that God created Eve by taking a rib from Adam's side, uh, which then God used to create the woman. And then, those are the only two people that God actively created. With that first man and woman then, God placed within their bodies the power to procreate. We know all about that, don't we? The seed of the man couples with the egg of the woman and new life begins and grows into an infant that is born then into the world. Now. This next point is really important. Throughout Genesis chapter 1, we find God personally creating other living creatures and vegetation, with which he also placed within them the ability to procreate and thus to reproduce. And additionally, God placed a law over it all to govern over procreation. And here's the law that each living thing will reproduce after their own kind with their own unique physical and personality type structures. For example, pigs always reproduce pigs and pigs have a very unique physical as well as a personality structure. On the other hand, cats always reproduce cats and they have a unique physical and personality structure. The point being that all living things reproduce after their kind. Now, Adam and Eve were the greatest of God's creation, made in his own image. And he gave their bodies the power to reproduce. But the biblical record shows us that they did not reproduce until after their fall into sin. Before sin, they were innocent. There was no sin in them. If they would have reproduced in that state, they would have reproduced other innocent, no sin humans, but they didn't. They didn't reproduce until they had fallen under sin's curse and thus their offspring were born in the image of what they had become, which was spiritually dead under sin's curse. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The entirety of humanity has its origin in Adam and Eve after their fall. Thus, all of us inherit their spiritual deadness and their sin nature. So you see, God does not create sin-cursed humans who will not believe. No, he created two perfect, innocent people who chose of their own free will to turn from him to follow their own desires. So, it is through human procreation that all people come to life inheriting their parents' spiritual deadness and sin nature, and thus they commit their own personal sin against a holy God. Now, God told Adam that if he chose to rebel and break the one command that he was given, then death, both physical and spiritual, would take effect. And it did. And while we don't like to hear what I'm about to say, it is nonetheless true that God has no obligation whatsoever of any kind to reverse the effects of our sin. In other words, God would be completely just and righteous to let all humanity remain under sin's curse and allow all of us to be eternally condemned because of it. But, Scripture says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. As I said, God could have allowed the effects of sin to have their natural course condemning every single one of us. But in love, he chose to provide a way of escape, a way for the sin curse to be reversed, and for grace to come into play. He didn't have to do it, but he did. So again, it is not God who creates sinners. That rests with Adam and Eve. Their sin made them condemned, sinners, and then all of us to be condemned with them. God, on the other hand, created a way for sin's curse to be reversed for some, and I'm eternally grateful that he did. And that statement that I just made, using the word some, leads me to the final issue, the fact that salvation for sin's curse only comes to some and not to everyone. It is a biblical fact that God did not choose to allow salvation's grace to automatically fall on everyone in the same way that he allowed sin's curse to automatically fall on everyone. Instead, before he even created, the Bible tells us he looked into the future that would be part of his creation, and he chose some to receive his free gift of salvation, while at the same time allowing the rest to go the way they choose to go in their unbelief. Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he, that is God, chose us, Those to be redeemed in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. You know, it's at this point that the cry will rise up that's not fair. And you know what? You're absolutely right. It's not fair. It's not fair that God the Son took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life before humanity, and then was falsely accused, beaten mercilessly, and nailed to a cross to die. That is not fair. What would have been fair is for God to allow all who are born of Adam's race to suffer the eternal consequence of their fallen nature and personal sins committed against him. That would not only be fair but it would be righteous. However, God sent His only Son to give His life for undeserving sinners so that those who would acknowledge their sin, who would, turn, uh, it, who would turn from it to embrace Jesus as their Savior and Lord, would come then out from under sin's condemnation into the light of love of God through Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is truly the good news of the gospel. So let me summarize what I've said thus far. Number one, God did not create any unbelievers. It was Adam's sin that brought sin's curse upon all humanity. God did, however, purpose not only to allow all humanity to suffer sin's judgment, but also provided a substitute, his own son, To take the penalty of sin upon himself, so that repentant sinners responding to the work of God's Spirit upon them might be saved. Finally, it becomes the responsibility of those receiving God's grace to make that grace through Jesus Christ known to all who will listen. Now, in the end, God knows who will be saved and who will not. And quite frankly, that's His business. Our business, though, is to receive His grace, to grow in His grace, and to share the message of His grace to others so that they might be saved also. I hope that helps. And if you need more information, don't hesitate to reach out and I'll try to help further. All right, let's take a moment then to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word again, how it uh, brings the reality of your action and your heart Um, and and what you have planned and done uh, to our hearts and minds. And, Lord, if we are willing to study it, we can discover who you are, how you act, and what your purpose is for your creation to include uh, mankind. Uh, Lord, um, you have graciously provided through Jesus a way for sinners to be saved. And you have made a promise that everyone who will come to you in repentance and faith, you will not cast them out but you will save their soul. So, Lord, help us to be busy about sharing your love with others, telling them the good news and how they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And, of course, that's their decision to make, and you will respond accordingly. But, Lord, help us to realize that you're not the one who made these bad things happen. You're the one who has provided good out of it, even when you didn't have to. Thank you for that wonderful gift. Lord, I lift this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Sunday, we're going to begin that three-week series on the doctrine of eschatology. And to some, (laughs) that may sound about as exciting as watching grass grow. (laughs) But I encourage you to give this section of the Revelation series a try. Give it a chance. You may find it more exciting than you thought to grow in your understanding about this doctrine, why we believe and preach what we believe and preach. Until then, God bless, and you have a great week.